Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. It's Sunday, so of course, we have comedians with us. No, we, <laughs> we have some very serious people to talk about some very serious things. Uh, with me, as usual, is uh, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and from Roll Call CQ, John Bennett, the 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 roaming the roving uh, editor so uh <laughs> and you're roaming this week where are you this week john a uh, secure undisclosed location <laughs> okay look at the window and let's see the, if you can find it by the biggest creek i've ever seen there you go <laughs> uh so hey stick around for this important message and we'll be right back and i don't know what that message is but it's important In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. It's Sunday, and so, of course, we're talking about the news of the week and looking forward as we go. And uh, joining me, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And I, I'm going to start out, I, we have a lot to talk about as far as presidents go, but it's Sunday, and um, the last episode of Reliable Sources just aired on CNN. I found out yesterday I was their very first guest in 1992, which made me feel old. And then, so I was the last guest uh, today for the show. And it has been canceled. And wh whatever else you think of the show, and we'll put that aside, I, I just want to hit you guys with, do you think there needs to be a show on television that addresses press issues? And if you do, what do you think it should look like? And so, Michael, I'll ask you first. Well, the answer to the question is yes. I think there should be a show that looks at press and their critical coverage. I think that they need to have honesty about who sponsors them and whether or not there's commercial you know, bias in their reporting because of sponsorship issues. I, I think that they would take a um, sort of a card out of the playbook of some of the sources of news on the left and the right, the democracy nows intercept um, types of reporting that report on these things, add that into their mix of coverage rather than just let us look at ourselves without getting you know, the point of view of outsiders who criticize the whole structure of the press in America. So I think it's important, but I think they have to uh, widen the aperture of the lens from you know, sort of like what has been now, which is 
self-congratulatory in, in some measure <laughs> to, 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 are we really doing our job consistent with our obligations under the First Amendment? John, how about you, brother? Do you think we need it? And what would it look like? I'm torn. I'm not sure we need it uh, for the reason that one of the reasons that that Michael mentioned, uh, we do enough slapping ourselves on the back and slapping our colleagues on the back. Um, and you just look at approval ratings. You think Congress's approval ratings are low and they are. Uh, <laughs> and they are. Our approval ratings are just as bad, if not worse, in some polls. So I think it does run the risk of we're ahead, we're ahead of you know like serial killers though. Well, yeah, you know, maybe it's a it's, it's a low bar, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it runs the risk of coming over as to self congratulatory, uh, you know, patting ourselves on the back, um, or it becomes what uh, Howie Kurtz's show on Fox has become, and you know that's just serving red meat to the MAGA crowd and the and conservatives that you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and the usual suspects are out to get all conservatives everywhere. So maybe there's maybe there's some for, forum there. I'm not sure it needs to be on a cable network because then one side is just going to attack it as, as being biased. So maybe something in a podcast format, uh, something like that. Yeah. You know, there, there are still media columns out there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think media columns is a good way to do it. Um, I'm just not sure that, that the cable bias, you know, people are going to think it's baked in. Yeah. Well, I'm going to maybe, 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 maybe you get um, Glenn Greenwald to host it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm following in the, the cavern here and saying that you need it. And um, I get your reasons why. You don't, and and I, I I actually subscribe to most of those reasons. I just think you have to do it anyway. And I think that to overcome bias, the biggest problem that you, I think that you have in a lot of these shows and a lot of things that I see on 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 many networks is the lack of nuance, the inability to frame an argument. Um, that's because we, you know, as you know, the um, we don't have as many reporters now as we used to, and we don't have very many. Uh, reporters with experience, because while we attract people to our our uh, way of making a living, we don't keep them for very long. Because if you're smart, you can make a lot of money elsewhere. And mm -hmm. the the crap that you have to put up with as a reporter is not something that everybody is you know uh, aligned with. So that's that's part of the problem. But I think the the real solution to a to a show is to be an ombudsman. And mm -hmm. at least have an ombudsman segment in your show. So if you make a mistake, you admit it and you move on. But you make sure that you admit the mistake. And we don't do that at all in 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 television. Yeah. Rarely will you see it done. You know, you yeah. used to have the ombudsman uh, portion of your newspaper, and everybody complained that they'd make the mistake on page one and admit it on page six. But at least it was admitted. And they were, and they, you know, we missed this, we did that, we should have done this, we did. And it was accepted that while we were the first take on history, we weren't necessarily the last take. And a mistake wasn't necessarily because we had a bias. But sure. that only comes when you have oversight. And so I would recommend any program going forward has an ombudsman segment and that uh, it's done completely openly and transparently. And if management wants to get involved, then the the showrunner should walk and and let people know this is not what i signed up for so 
with all that said, without those caveats, I think that it's important to hold our feet to the fire. And I, I certainly hope that, you know, that, and, and look, people complain <laughs> about uh, that show for a variety of reasons, but mm-hmm. the idea of holding, I like the idea. Shows like that need to be around and we don't have many of them. So, so Brian, let me just say in, in your book, you wrote that um, there were a couple, of, a, couple of, of, a couple of problems. One was the shrinking number of media outlets and corporate ownership of uh, media outlets. And one of the yeah. suggested um, reforms that you suggested was sort of like blue ribbon panels to eliminate money from the media. So I wonder whether or not, apropos of what you wrote in your book and, and what we're talking about here, whether a show like this, a critical examination of the media could be independently funded in, in some way so that it's not in any way beholden to the corporate ownership of the media, whether it's, you know. I'm in and I'll host it. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, because that makes a lot of sense. What you need is to make sure, you know, there've always been sacred cows. When I first got into you know, sacred cows in the business, this ab- local newspaper, sometimes you couldn't make fun of the, the guy down the street who was running, you know, at the the big ads in your paper. So you'd be real careful that they didn't yank ads. But even then there was, you know, there was a certain line you didn't cross and we'd report on you if you did something, but without reporters holding people accountable, no one is accountable. So it, if it takes an independent source to, to fund that so we can do it, then yes, absolutely. Right. Does that make sense to everybody? I, I was trying to make sense. I gave it up for Lent. Yeah. But <laughs> don't worry, on. no one else does either, Brian. No one else makes sense either. So. <laughs> this week was, of course, uh, as we go on, a wonderful week in the world of the guy that everybody accuses us of secretly loving because we talk mm-hmm. about him all the time, and that's uh, Trump and Mar-a-Lago. And um, I guess the significance is, um, I, 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 Michael, you're going to have to start me out on this one too. Uh, the redacted version of the the search warrant affidavit. What is what what is the critical nature of this? Why is it important? Is it unprecedented to do this, and and why is it being done? Can you walk me through some of that? Right. So let's just take one step back and understand what's the history here, which is that Trump leaves the White House, and there's a report in today's New York Times about this last minute frenzy to throw documents into boxes and get it out of the White House. There was no systematic um, process like in Pence's office to look through documents to make sure that that which shouldn't have left didn't leave. They just, you know, it's sort of like you overslept and um, you have to make the plane and it's, you end up being home alone. You leave the kid back you know they 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 packed up these documents in a in a in a frenzy without any oversight and there they go to mar-a-lago the um national archives who should be the custodian of all of those records calls up trump and says you know we need them back and they that starts like a 15-month process negotiating for the return of these documents Uh, it led in june to a grand jury subpoena for them when they weren't getting the, you know, sort of voluntary cooperation that they expected. And then ultimately, 
even after the grand jury failed to get all the documents out of Mar-a-Lago, they felt that they had no choice but to go to a judge, suggest to the judge that there was probable cause to search the premises for the documents which they believed were there and that they had an entitlement to. So the judge looks at the affidavit where they lay out all the bases for probable cause to believe that uh, the, the evidence there violates criminal law statutes. It doesn't say any person violated the statutes necessarily, doesn't right. name anybody. It just says these, these documents essentially exist in a state of violation of these statutes. Um, and they took them. And that should have been the end of the process. However, the media organizations uh, sued essentially in court to have the affidavit, which gave rise to the judge finding there was probable cause to believe that those documents were in violation of law and needed to be um, retrieved by the FBI, um, held a hearing on that lawsuit to you know, re release this affidavit. Justice Department, of course, opposed it because the affidavit tells you who they're investigating, how they're investigating them, who is cooperating with them, what the next steps in the investigation are, why these documents are critical to that investigation. It's a whole roadmap to what they're doing. Almost always, judges say when asked about the release of those uh, roadmaps, no, thank you. We can't give that over to you. And I can but attest to that because I've asked on several occasions for affidavits to be released. And the most I've ever gotten is a severely redacted, I mean, in, in some cases, several pages have just blacked out everything. Right. Yeah. Right. So the judge in this case, citing sort of the special circumstances of this case is trying to figure out whether there's a way to split the difference between the media's desire for transparency and the Justice Department's desire to maintain the integrity of their investigation. So he's ordered the Justice Department to turn to him, return to him on Thursday with a proposed redacted affidavit, which he, was, which he is then going to look at and determine whether it meets his standard and then he's gonna release it in this redacted form or he's gonna require additional redactions or less, rather less redactions or whether- He could do both, uh, right? He could, add, he he could do, say, he, yeah, yes. he could go, wait, you, I'm not gonna let that go. That's too, that's too much. We'll put he, that- Yes, in, in yeah. theory, yeah, in theory, he's the judge and he can, he can make those determinations or he can look at this and say, you know what, you're right this is the correct number of redactions because it's so heavily redacted, it would mean nothing for the public. There'd be no transparency, which was you know, sort of my objective. <clears throat> and therefore I'm saying no release. So he's got all of those things. And of course the justice department has the right of appeal. He's a magistrate judge. So that's sort of the lowest rung of judges on the um, tree of judges. They can go right above him to the U.S. District Court judge, the appointed judge for whom the magistrate essentially works, and then they can go to the Court of Appeals and, and, and beyond. And I expect that they would be very careful to make sure that there's no precedent set for the release of affidavits for the reasons that you just described about why you didn't get them, because right. they don't want them. They, they don't Ongoing want Ongoing investigation. The Department right. of Justice has been notorious over the years for, look, I asked them for information on an investigation and the standard bill of fare is 
I can neither confirm nor deny that such an investigation exists. However, if there is such an investigation, it would be ongoing and we couldn't release information to you anyway. That that's, is the same exact, that's the same exact answer you get when you file a FOIA yeah. in most cases, a Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, request. They neither confirm nor deny. And then they say, you know, and even if we could, we wouldn't. Um, but well, I had my revenge one time in court because I actually, I, when the when a prosecutor asked me what I had, I, I said I can neither confirm nor deny that I have such information, but under the rights granted to me under the First Amendment, if I did, I wouldn't be able to tell you. And it confused right. them enough that I got to walk away. Let me ask John. Wait, 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 but let me just let me just, let me just give you the, 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 the last word on this. The one thing yep. to keep in mind about this issue of transparency is they could redact this document in such a way that lay readers looking at it could make zero sense of it, meaning it's so blacked out that it, it's meaningless. However, they could leave little tidbits, July 6th, you know, phone call on this day. And what the prosecutors follow them up. What the prosecutors always worry about is whether that is some sort of reveal to the subjects of the investigation. So if, if the three of us were of in a course, conspiracy- That's, that's right? what we always do as reporters. We push for the redact, we, we push for what we can, what we get from the redaction, if there's, we've, we search for those grains, those, those nuggets to which to mine for information. And you're right, I've seen that many, many times. And, but more importantly than the reporters going after the story is if hypothetically the three of us were in a conspiracy and we knew on July the 7th, we had the critical meeting where we decided that yes, we're going to rob the bank. If everything is redacted except July the seventh, where it says meeting July seventh, then perhaps we now know that they know the government that is knows of our July seventh meeting, and we better make sure that anyone who knows about that July seventh meeting is eliminated. Yeah, because that's the that's the key meeting at which we hatched the, the conspiracy. So it's those sort of tells that, that worried law enforcement uh, most. Let, less, well, let me, you know, I, I drag, following up on it and more Yeah, I want to drag John in this because John, okay. as, a, yeah. as an editor, I, I mean, you know, when, when we file for these things, we have a specific goal in mind. And of course, sometimes they do run concurrent with uh, uh, those who have less than uh, honorable uh, intent in finding the information. So where do you fall? Do you think that it's it's right to reveal the affidavit or redact it? Or, and how would how will you all react to it uh, if you get it? Well, I I don't I don't I think that of course we want as much information uh, as we can. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I think the Justice Department lawyers um, they have very good reasons for uh, for not wanting any of it out right now. Uh, because they are, you know, multiple investigations of Trump and Trump world. And um, so um, it's, you know, it, it's that usual balance that we have of, you know, we've all had sources not be able to tell us things or tell us things off the record um, uh, because some decision is pending or there, there's an investigation. So I, I think, you know, the judge may be trying to be a little too cute by half here and trying to find that middle ground. Um, I, I ultimately, what I think we will get is 
a very uh, a very black document with with a lot of redactions. I think so yeah that's i think we're gonna get I, a lot of pages with black bars yeah I, I think judge reinhardt has has almost created a situation where he's he's going to put something out but um you know i don't think the i don't think judge reinhardt wants to interfere in the investigation necessarily uh but he does he he does have an instinct it seems the public's right to know right and to know more about this i mean this was unprecedented and historic um so i think we will get something and you know the maggie habermans and the glenn thrushes of the world and 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 folks like like roll call will do exactly what you said um you know there'll Fine. be yeah there'll be nuggets in there and everyone will just you know it might take a month um for a maggie and and glenn uh, front page that, that you know a tuesday night at 6 30 and boom they report out this this crazy meeting where maybe trump was told let's not take that box right there sir that you have on the coffee table in the white house residence filled with papers um as was kind of described in the new york times story that michael mentioned earlier um so you know maybe there was maybe there was an altercation in the residence on january 18th before, you know two days before he he slinked off back to uh, to Florida, and then Joe Biden was sworn in. So, um, I, I think we'll get more information, but I don't. I don't think we're going to see the whole thing. Uh, I don't think we will. I don't think we we'll see much. But, but I think it. Yeah. Look, and I think people need to understand. I mean, a lot of I saw a lot of uh, of online and 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 uh, <laughs> social media postings about how this is all Donald Trump trying to get people in trouble. No, this is you know so he could find out more. It, this is about the press. This is how it's, I mean, this is not the first affidavit I've seen that someone has asked for a copy yeah. of. It's, yeah. This is commonplace among reporters to request information. It's often commonplace to be turned down for the request, specifically, as Michael was talking about, this type of information. And for the reasons, uh, are, and the reasons are valid. What we worry about in the press, are there nefarious reasons? Are there other reasons? You know, not just protecting that investigation, but is there something else that the public needs to be aware of now and why it was done? And so those sure. are always the weighing concerns that you have as a reporter. And if, you know, I, I, I've developed sources in the DOJ over the years, I trust them. I, I do. And, and, and if they said, Brian, look, stay away from this, there's nothing there, I would go, you know, I, I do trust you. And I'd probably get screwed once or twice, but I do trust them. And I do trust the reasons why they uh, are hesitant to want to let this information go. But on the other hand, this is unprecedented, it's historic, and there are fundamental reasons for trying to find out uh, as much as possible. And the public does have a right to know as much as possible. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I would I, just add, Brian, I would just add the question is, one of of timing if the headline is yes. uh, uh, DO, doj investigation scuttled because release of redacted affidavit undermines the capacity of doj to move forward very sorry um all of those of you who want the rule of law to have been followed but we can't because the judge gave away too much and they were able to correct that would be a horrible Outcome. Well, I, I've never known a judge to give away too much. Well, <laughs> I, I've well, never met that judge. I, I, I want to know where he is. I got, I got a couple of stories I need help with. Most of them are just the, the you know it's the, it's the other end. But I, I I feel you and I get your 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 concern, 
my, my and, and in this case, look, I think we're all concerned. Nobody wants to screw up this investigation. I, I, I don't know anybody that does except maybe Trump and his minions. And, but you only and you only do get one shot at the king. So I I respect the meticulous nature of what's going on. And if they only provide in-camera viewing for a select number of reporters, a certain redacted portion of it, uh, I, I'm fine with that. And I'm I'm even fine if they redact everything and give us nothing. But the question always has to be asked. And, and I don't think that that's it. I don't think it's um, it, it's uncommon nor nor noxious to do so. But boy, I tell you what, Michael, if you know of, of uh, judges that give away too much, man, I will talk off camera. <laughs> yeah. The question is, what's too much for those who are being investigated? Yeah. Is very different from what's too much for you and me, lay person. Yeah. And as a former federal prosecutor, my instinct always is protect the integrity of the investigation when the indictment is returned if you will then the public will get to know everything why risk yep. the integrity of the investigation for some piecemeal thing that people who don't know enough to know because it's been so redacted start wildly speculating and screw everything up oh i, I you don't like i said if they re, if they release nothing i'm fine with that too so and, that's, and, that's, that's my closing argument. I rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, the jury will see the jury in. <laughs> so, uh, I, I the question to me is, and, and while we're talking about this, is why, what, what, what were in those documents? That to me is the overwhelming question left unanswered. Why? Why did he hold on to these? For what purpose? Um, and John, you you kind of you talked about the two questions this week in your column. Uh, yeah, <laughs> those are the only two. Yeah, I, I, you know Thursday's affidavit day, and I get that. And and Michael makes very good very good points about about the affidavit, and and probably, um, and I, I would probably, and I, I do agree with both of you that I'm I'm fine if they don't release anything. But, you know, affidavit is not what I'm after here and what I'm what I want to know. Again, it's it's why. Why did he take the documents he took and how did he intend to use them or maybe already use them somehow? Um, we talked about this last week mm -hmm. and, and I, kinda, I, I built it out for the column. Um, that's 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 all that matters to me is what was this guy up to? Um, I, I don't. I don't believe that these were just random documents <clears throat> that, that were in a stack uh, that landed in the residence. You know, he, he wasn't Barack Obama or even George W. Bush. You know, this guy wasn't taking binders upstairs and and reading until three in the morning or, you know, W got up early and, and worked out and then he did his reading usually in the morning. You know, Donald Trump wasn't doing those things. Donald Trump was hate watching cable news and, and tweeting about it all the time. So I don't I don't think that these were just stacks of papers and and in a frantic dash to, to get some of his belongings out of there that, oh, we oh, oops, we took these government documents. Um, 
along with the pictures of his grandkids that were behind the resolute desk in the old that had happened he could have returned them at any time and avoided all this controversy obviously he was holding on to them for some reason right why 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 this was this was not a random act of packing on on january 19th you know this there are reasons here and and the more I, I talk about this, I'm talking myself into maybe we should keep this affidavit sealed and and let DOJ do its work uh, because we need I'm to find that. out the why and the how. We need these answers. Everybody needs these answers. Michael? <laughs> no, I, I, that, that, that John has just um, made your case my closing you. argument, which <laughs> is uh, as to the re- release of the affidavit, it's not, this is not the time. This is too important a case to right. risk any, anything undermining it. As to whether this was, you know, sort of my home alone bad packing, I'm sorry we forgot the youngest kid. Um, and these are just <laughs> random, these are random documents. We forgot Tiffany. Right. Or, um, or, we left something. Eric on purpose. <laughs> Or, or yes, that's right. When the, when the Bidens open up the closet and there's Eric, Surprise. Daddy. But, but I, I guess the the, the 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 key question is what you're asking, which is, was there sort of sort of malice, um, a bad purpose in the initial taking and then the continued retention of these documents. And that's that's the key question that has to be answered by DOJ to determine whether or not any of those three statutes, the concealment statute, the espionage statute, and the obstruction statute were violated. If it is just this random act of home alone bad packing, then the persons who may have gross negligence liability under the espionage statute will be the people who are given the order to pack, Mark Matthews and Meadows. If it turns out that there is bad stuff in these documents and that Trump was aware of that and was trying to retain to it, re- retain them, then he will have obstruction um, liability as well as potential concealment uh, liability. So that's the heart of the matter. And we have to wait and see what justice concludes about it. But it is really odd to me, to John's point, and to your point, Brian, you you take these documents, and you put them in your house, and the DOJ, acting on behalf of the federal records people, say, give us them back. Yeah. If, it was, if it was innocent, you go home. The, the office, you say, well, of course, come down and get them. Right. You know, send me a prepaid postal uh, mailing envelope and I'll, and I'll send them back to you because I'm certainly not going to pay for them myself. I'll send um, Junior. He knows how to drive. Right, right. Um, so what, what, explains, what explains this back and forth, unless Trump, you know, in some way that is only understandable to his way of thinking is these belong to me. He like said Nixon, that. Like, like, Nixon, like Nixon, these tapes are personal. These belong yeah. to me. And I hear you and I know I've got them, but they're mine and you can't have them. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, give me my ball back if I can't play. 
he, he may well be of the mind that he knew he had them. He didn't necessarily know what was in them, but he's just such a, you know, sort of honorary, honorary, how do you say that word? Honorary. Honorary. That I'll say it again. They say, give us these documents back. And he's such an ornery character. You he, just says, he just says flat out, no, you can't have them. They're mine. Um, and, and, you know. I know he's a kid in the place. He's a kid in the right. sandbox. No, mine, right. mine, 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 oh, mine. So to John's point, either there's something serious, really serious beyond just retaining them or to your point, Brian, he's just a spoiled brat in a, in, a, <clears throat> uh, in the sandbox who refuses to give the other kid back his toy. Oh, I think he can be both. Trust me. He's, he, I think he is the honorary kid in the sandbox. And I do believe there's something there. I, you know, in talking to uh, those who have been close to him, like Michael Cohen and some of the other people who have worked for him over the years, he doesn't, he is very cunning and very conniving. I wouldn't call him the smartest man on the planet, but he survived by the seat of his pants for many, many years. And so there's everything that he, he has that he holds on to, there's a reason for it. And I, I don't believe that was arbitrary or, or capricious. Uh, I believe that it was it, it, full knowledge what he had and why. I just don't see Donald Trump, because if it were nothing, Donald Trump's the kind of guy go, oh, what do I care? I had, you know, <laughs> nothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, Brian. That's exact. That's not how he operates. Yeah. Just to take random papers, you know, a, a thousand miles. Yeah. Why would he do that? Because he, he, he didn't, all accounts, and we all have talked to people who were in meetings with him over his presidency. He didn't care about most of the documents that they put in front he, of him anyway. He never read more than a paragraph. So why would he take him to Mar-a-Lago? Right. It just doesn't it, it doesn't add up. And and I, I, I truly do hope that the Justice Department, and the FBI are, are headed in that direction to figure that out. Well, and what you said, John, just gave me chills, too. It's like what he could use them for or already has used them. Uh -huh. for. And uh -huh. the, the real fear that from the people I know in DOJ is and they don't know, or at least no one has told me that they know. And, yeah. and I, and like I said, I, until they lie to me, I trust my sources. They don't know what or if these things were already used and determining that, I mean, you know, I, I, one of them said, did he sell out the United States? Did the president of the United States sell out the United States? And I would maintain, obviously it's Donald Trump. He'll sell anything to anyone, but mm -hmm. if they actually have physical proof of that, I think it would be for many people devastating and for many people overwhelming. And then for others, a, a significant example of why Donald Trump is number one. You know, the Trumpers will love him no matter what. But that's, so why, again, is it goes back to all about why. Um, yep. I want to finish this segment with, uh, and, and Michael, you had uh, alluded to it <laughs> earlier about uh, others. Who do we think's in the chain of command that's going to end up on, on, on the on a noose for holding on to these? Because you know it wasn't Donald solely. That's as Michael Cohen said. That's not how uh, Trump does business. He he kind of you know he deflects to others to make the decisions, and he merely nods his head yes or no. So uh, Michael, who do you think might be online? You had said Mark Meadows earlier. So it really depends on what's in the documents. Right. So we just said that 
if the documents contain stuff which is compromising to our national security, and if there's knowledge that's, if, and if it's provable that Trump had knowledge of that and had a bad purpose in them, then obviously he's most on the hook for obstruction and espionage and concealment. If it turns out that these are just haphazard documents um, or that they are they are carefully collected documents, but they were never used in a, in a bad way. So they just sat there in a, in a benign state waiting to be used, but not yet having been used. Then it seems to me on the under the espionage statute, which basically says, if you have national security documents and you've handled them in a grossly negligent way, you have liability. Then the question would be, well, who was entrusted to make sure that these were not grossly negligently handled, but rather was were carefully um, protected? And it would seem to me that Trump would not have liability there. He would say, I'm the president. I gave a directive to my staff, whether they could ever find that directive or not is another matter. But he would, <laughs> I gave directive to my staff to make sure that like Mike Pence, we um, did whatever the, the Presidential Records Act requires of us. That, you know, you can obviously see that as his answer. I, you know, don't look at me, look at the people who, whose job it would be to, to pack the boxes. And those people might say, you know, it wasn't me, it was him, but he's the president. And so he's the one who gets to delegate. And, you know, maybe Mark Matthews tries to delegate down too, but I think he's the stucky in, <laughs> in, 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 in that. The funky and the stunky. Yeah. 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 I think in that, I think he's got, and it invites the question, which you guys should look into is what's he up to these days? Is he is he trying to cut a deal for himself? I mean, he's well, been certainly very, gone stone cold dark on the internet. I haven't seen him around for a while. Well, right, but that so th this is this for me, uh, and he's got a good lawyer in in, in my friend George Twilliger. And so the question is, what's up with what's up with Meadows, John? Yeah, building on that, building on that. There's a lot of interesting stuff in this New York Times uh, article today, but but we all know Meadows. Um, he was famous for texting and calling reporters. He was very accessible as a congressman, uh, less so, but still accessible as chief of staff. And that one line that jumped out at me, um, quoting from the story, a lawyer for Mr. Meadows declined to comment. <laughs> so not only is Meadows not talking, his lawyer's not talking, and he is now at least on the record. Uh, he's communicating with the press um, through his attorney. He's not, he's not even talking anymore. And this is a guy who was on his phone on January 6th. And I got I to gotta assume some of that was texting reporters. I mean, this guy was famous for, for being accessible. And like you guys have said, he's kind of dropped off uh, the face of the earth here. So so what do I got to believe something's up. Yeah, something's yeah. up. What do you suspect? Something's definitely up. What do you think it is? I suspect he's got some liability here, and he's been contacted by uh, federal investigators. And I, <laughs> knowing Mark Meadows had, and how he's had, operated over the years, my gut tells me he's probably cooperating. Right. Yeah. But the question is, I guess, John, you know him better than, than I. I don't know him at all. I wouldn't recognize him in an elevator. 
But the question is, is he the type of person who's going to follow sort of the Alan Weisselberg, CFO of the Trump Organization, and, and sort of not testify up against Trump? Or is Meadows the type of guy who, when facing a Manafort-like decision of, you know, seven years in, in jail for bad acts, is going to say, I'm going to talk about anybody and everybody in order to you know, limit oh, my liability. Is, is he a testify up guy or or not? What's he facing? My, I mean, the difference between Weisselberg and, and yeah. you know, seven years versus five months. You know, that, no, 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 but 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 Weisselberg, Weisselberg he was facing a deal. A, he was no, but he was facing a five year yeah. plus felony for each of these counts, and he still held held true, and the prosecutors, you know, cut a deal with him for for. What will be a probably a hundred days, uh, yeah, in, in prison. But he, if they hadn't he, cut a deal with him, I think he might have changed his mind. I, well, I think he was blind. You're in a bluff, myself, and he bluffed them. But or, I, or they felt that they couldn't prove the case. But the point there is, you go. The point is, he it seems till the end remained loyal to Trump. And the only question I'm asking, which I am completely agnostic on, is. Is Meadows that type of guy, or is he a type of guy? John, he, he asked like, my like, own opinion, but go ahead, John. What do you like? Think? Gate. Remember, we had Manafort who sort of kept his mouth quiet for a bit of the time. And then you had his uh, business partner, Gates, who was willing to testify about everybody to to help save himself. So I guess the question I'm asking is, into what category of witness does Meadows? Uh, fall if he's in fact cooperating. John? Is there is, is there some middle ground here that that <laughs> I that Meadows might try to give up just enough on Trump to save his own hide without without giving everything up? Um, I I don't think Mark Meadows is views himself as finished on the national stage. I think he he probably believes he's got something left in the tank um, in some regard, so I don't know. I don't. I don't think he wants to spend ten years in, in, in a federal penitentiary. So you know, I I think he'll go for that some kind of middle ground deal, um, without completely ratting out the balls. But well, but I'd love to hear what here, you think. Here, here's my idea. He's Mark Meadows. He's a politician. Right. They they're bought and sold and traded on the New York Stock Exchange every day. So he. He's gonna, he'll go. <laughs> yeah, he'll tr maybe he'll try to strike a deal where he doesn't have to give it all up. But do, do they flip Mark Meadows? Hey, when you go into the IHOP, do they flip a pancake? The answer is yes. That's Mark Meadows, a political pancake. He'll flip. <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time picturing Mark Meadows in prison. Yes. Yeah, just leave it there's, that. Yeah, there's no way <laughs> soft white boys going to prison. Listen, listen, we cover the Trump White House. We can do mental gymnastics, but <laughs> I can't quite. I can't quite get there. That's right. <clears throat> we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, 
it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question and uh, I am your host, Brian Karen. We had a lot of fun last segment talking about Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, but now we're on to the Georgia Grand Jury, and uh, our favorite player on the national stage, Rudy Giuliani, has been told he's the target of the investigation, or a target in the investigation. Michael, I guess the question, the first question I'll ask you is, how closely do you think Georgia is working with the DOJ at a national level, and what does it mean that, that uh, Rudy Giuliani is a target of that investigation? So taking the second question first, if you're a target, it means that there's a likelihood that you will be indicted and you are being informed of that. And remember, Giuliani was called into the grand jury. In the federal system, you're given a target letter. And the target letter says, essentially, you're about to be indicted or you could be indicted. There's an imminent possibility of it. And do you want to come in and sort of make your closing argument for why you shouldn't be. Uh, and most people decline that because they feel that it'll just be even more evidence um, against them. And in this case, Giuliani sort of did the same, which is to say he showed up, but he took the, the fifth, it seems, um, on, on much of this stuff. His lawyers haven't said, but if he, if he didn't, I'd be I'd be surprised. So one, Giuliani is a target, which means he has the possibility of being um, indicted. And that would be for false statements and other Georgia state election law violations for his multiple presentations to the um, Georgia, uh, I guess it was Senate Judiciary, Georgia Senate, um, Georgia State Senate hearing where he testified for about seven hours or so about the, the fraud um, that he had evidence of. Uh, whether and to what extent they're cooperating with the feds, I don't know, but I'd be surprised if the feds don't have a collateral federal investigation into the violation of federal election laws. Well, would it be unusual? But it may be, but it may be, it may be Brian, that like we see in um, many cases, take George Floyd, for example. Right. In the George Floyd case, they, the feds stood back. They had an investigation, but they stood back and let the state prosecute the murders first. And then they decided what to do thereafter. And they came in on a civil rights uh, case and did a second prosecution. We saw that with Rodney King. And so... It well could be that the feds are saying, let's see what happens in Georgia and see whether or not uh, federal interests necessitate us to go forward or whether the state satisfies its obligations. Remember, in George Floyd, they obtained a murder conviction and yet they went forward with a civil rights because they felt it was an important message. In Rodney King, they lost 
the, the, the state lost this, the, the charges against the police officers for beating up Rodney King in the LA riots case long ago. Um, and the feds came in after the fact uh, with a federal civil rights case, which I think they lost also. But so there are different reasons why you come forward. And I think generally speaking in these types of cases, the feds will let the states go first. But they'll they, be aware of what's going on. They'll at least liaison with them, yes? I would, I would for sure yeah. think they're in touch with one another. I just don't know, you know. To the depth. Because I don't know what grand jury rules are and whether right. they can share information, state, federal. It, it varies state to state. But the point, I, I guess the, the thing I hear often is that, well, DOJ has no idea what's going on in Georgia. That can't possibly be the case. They have to have some, they have to have, I have an idea of what's going on in Georgia. They have to have a far better idea of what's going on there than we do, right? I, I, I would be surprised if they don't because, and, yeah. and I'm sure it'll be your next question after John gets to answer this question yeah. is, you've got Lindsey Graham. Um, and well, he's, we're going there. <laughs> and, he's, and, and, and he's in federal court. Yeah. Um, so, so, John, I mean, they have to know more than us, yes? <laughs> I don't, okay, how much more is there? To, I'm sure there's there's more to know. I'm sure. I'm right. positive. But how much more? I was thinking about this last night and, and doing some reading, preparing for this, into the Graham and Giuliani. They told us <laughs> what they were doing. They didn't exactly try to hide their tracks here. So, <laughs> you know... I, you know, I, I'm sure they know what's going on in Georgia. They did it like out said, aggressively. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, it was kind of striking. I was sitting by this giant creek where vacationing and looking out at the creek and thinking, wait a second, Rudy and, and, and Senator Graham told the world what they did. They bragged about it. They had incentive to brag about it publicly because Trump wanted people out there fighting for me and defending me. And Graham and, and Rudy were happy to do it. Yeah, and that's that brings up you know a point, and you probably know better than most. Uh, Lindsey Graham's transformation over the last few years has been un well ungodly and unbelievable. I mean, he was McCain's one of his biggest allies, right? And 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 now look at him. Yeah, you know, I covered defense for a long time, and <clears throat> Senator McCain and Senator Graham were, um, Graham wasn't always on the Armed Services Committee, but he kind of, he was on it a lot of the time that, that I was covering it over the years, and, and McCain, of course, was the chairman, the ranking member, um, depending on who had the majority, but but even beyond defense issues, you know, if McCain jumped in on on any issue that that, you know, there was at least, you know, there was a gang, if there was a gang of seven and McCain was part of it, pretty soon it would become a gang of eight because Graham, Graham would get involved. Yeah. And, and he was viewed as, as, as a moderate and, you know, he split and they were, that was his, his best, his best buddy was John McCain. And, and they split over Trump at a certain point. Uh, McCain didn't, McCain, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with, with Donald Trump and, um, and, and you really, you could start to see Graham's line to us was, okay, I said things about Trump, but he's the president and I want to find ways to work with him. Well, that would have been one thing if, if he had just done that and, and was still willing to criticize Trump from time to time, but 
he just took this this really hard right turn. And I, I don't know if if he goes all the way in on Trump like he did had had uh, Senator McCain not passed away when he did. If, if John McCain was still around, maybe he's not in the Senate anymore. Uh, but, you know, probably he also loved media. Uh, he was no uh, he, he wasn't shy. You know, he would still be a national voice, I would think, if he was still alive yes. and maybe moderating his friend a little bit. So, you know, he's Senator Graham is not the same. Uh, individual that I covered, you know, 10, 12 years ago. No, he's, he's not the same one we covered seven years ago. No, not the same one we it, before, right before. I mean, his switch came when Donald Trump came, you know, into office and he sucked up to the power and hadn't walked away from it since. Yes. And but- that instinct is, is still in there. We saw Senator Graham was very involved in the um, I call it the mass shooting prevention bill, not so much a gun bill that, <laughs> that that they passed recently. And they had to negotiate the terms of that. And Graham was heavily involved in that. So, and there's a there there's some other bills in the Senate that you know he's working with uh, Senator Menendez on uh, on a Taiwan bill uh, that if you know if it passes it, it it will will be able to give Taiwan not just defensive weapons, so it opens up and gives them some more weapons to, you know, as a deterrent uh, for Chinese aggression. So he is, that instinct is still in there, but for whatever reason, you know, he's got this, he's got this loyalty to Trump. It's a three by five photo and we will know what's on it, but uh, Michael, you had something to to add. I, I guess that I would observe is as a middle school student of history, that South Carolina is among the most conservative states in the right. union, has been from time in the, in the beginning. I mean, you remember, it, they are the ones who essentially instigate the Civil War, and it's they who champion um, voter disenfranchisement after Reconstruction is over. Yeah, most people in South Carolina are descended from a long line of cousins, but I get your point. The point is that when Trump comes on the scene and Lindsey Graham fearing, I think is fearing the possibility of being primaried on the right, uh, on his right, says, you know what? I've got nothing going for me other than this Senate gig. um, (laughs) I'm going to hold on to this at all costs. And you can call me whatever names you want, but in the end, I'm still Senator Graham. And that's what matters to me most. Yeah. Don't call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for supper. But you're, that's an absolute cogent point to make is that it's a, it's strictly a political move by him to st- and is why he did it. Yeah. He's as narcissistic as the rest. It's all about me and not about so me. Can you, in, in, in tweeting about this podcast, can you make a note? Zeldin finally made a cogent point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've written it down. I have it at, I have it at the two minute and 59. I, I am definitely going to tweet that out. <laughs> finally, point. exclamation point. <laughs> so we're going to take one more short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the future and the GOP and what comes up next week. Stick around, we'll be right back.
Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kieran, we're going to ask about the Borch Belt activities of Steve Martin in a, in a minute. But uh, let's, let's start out with one thing that we didn't ask. Uh, will Lindsey Graham have to testify? Uh, and that's, you know, in Georgia, having to do with the allegations of uh, tampering in the election. And uh, John, we'll start with you. Initially, I thought he would be forced to testify. I read up on... Um, the, the, the protection that they're arguing there. Um, let me pull that up. Speech um, and debate. Yes, the speech, speech and debate. debate. I read up on that. And then I, I uh, reminded myself that uh, at the time, Senator Graham was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And, you know, what he was asking of folks in, in Georgia, I think in a rather Trumpian way, uh, Senator Graham is going to get out of this he, his lawyers are going to say, well, he's chairman of the Judiciary Committee. It was his duty to ask George, the Georgia officials these questions. And I think he's going to wiggle out of this. Well, what about you, Michael? I don't think he wiggles out completely. I think that the Court of Appeals today gave Graham a stay to avoid testifying on Tuesday. The trial judge said that... She listened to his arguments and she found them unpersuasive and that there were areas that he could offer testimony on that weren't covered by speech and debate. And what she did was she sent it back to Fulton County to say, you know, have a look at that. What the appeals court did is said essentially, no, 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 you district court judge, you federal district court judge, you take a look at it and decide what's covered and not. Now, in her original order, she said that it was unpersuasive because there were many areas that he could be questioned about that fall outside of legislative responsibilities, including, and she listed three, his potential communications and coordination with the Trump campaign and its post-election efforts in Georgia, his knowledge of other groups or individuals involved with efforts to influence the Georgia election in 2020, and his public statements following the 2020 election, which is of great significance to the issues pre presented by this court. So I think there's a category of testimony that, that he will be required to give, which will be considered to be political activity and not Government. legislative activity. Remember, we saw this in um, Menendez case in New Jersey. Remember, he's charged with corruption, uh, for around lobbying activities. He too said this was speech and debate clause covered and the court said, no, it isn't. This is lobbying and yeah. it's got nothing to do with yeah. legislative. And you could pretend, if you will, you could try to um, um, shoehorn this into your legislative responsibilities, but we don't, we don't buy it. And I think that where John and I agree is that I think there'll be aspects of this that the court may find are legislative in nature because of the role he played in Senate Judiciary. But I think parts of it are going to be deemed to be political in nature, and, and he should be required to, to testify about it. But the 11th Circuit is a fairly conservative 
circuit. And so um, we just don't know. Well, I'm going to move on a bit to the DOJ. Here's another one that we're going to love. I've heard this said many times um, that the investigation, the DOJ investigation that led to the search at Mar-a-Lago is automatically political, just automatically. Any, any investigation against the president or former president, automatically political. And, and that would absolve Trump of any possibility of ever being investigated for anything from now until the end of time because it's all political. Um, is that a valid observation? And I'll, I, I, I see both. John, I'll let you. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw was the latest to say that. Yeah, he was shopping that one around this morning on on some of the the political shows. Um, it was it was a jaw dropping comment. I had to I had to play it back in my mind and 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 then okay, if Trump did say. And um, stop me if you've heard this before. If he shot someone on Fifth Avenue under the Crenshaw theory, he could get away um, with it. He would get away with it. If he shot me, um, he would get away with it. If if Donald Trump robbed a bank in Bedminster, he could get away with it. So it's just again back to this this mind boggling. I mean, we understand the political reasons that these people are still afraid of Donald Trump. They don't want to get primaried, and just like Senator Graham, it beats having a real job. That's <laughs> Michael. <laughs> well, I guess you know the the prosecutor in me says I don't understand what you're saying here. <laughs> you know, what, what does this mean? It's an inherently political. What if it is inherently political? Does that absolve a person from criminal liability? If so. I'm a politically um, elected official in the District of Columbia. I hold the um, prestigious seat of advisory neighborhood commissioner. I, I won my election in November and I'm running for re-election. Anything- That jail-free card, brother. Well, exactly right. Anything brought against me would be inherently political. And so I'm not gonna pay for food at Whole Foods anymore because <laughs> any prosecution for shoplifting would be inherently political. So I don't quite understand um the analysis i uh, nor do and 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 i find it it but this is often the trump way it they don't have to make sense <laughs> I mean, what analysis you know, I, i'll get back to you on that hakuna matata thing you know it's, oh it, just, it, all, it all comes back to the lion king doesn't it's it? just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks <laughs> or or there's might be a good time for a sports metaphor from john <laughs> Oh boy. The, okay. This is the, this reminds me of the, uh, and we're going through it right now, the utter delusion of optimism about the Washington football team that now known as the commanders. Um, some of the logic I hear, I, 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 I listen to sports radio. I'm not a commander's fan, but I listen to, I, I hate listen to it uh, basically. And it's, it's just the same kind of, um, you know, Donald Trump can do no wrong. Uh, the commanders are going to win 10 games based on what? what? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't follow the um, UFC, but apparently last night, this guy, Leon Edwards, with 57 
seconds left in the championship bout against the prohibitive favorite, a guy named Usman, kicked him in the head and won. Um, so maybe well, that got his attention. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're waiting here for uh, a kick to the a head. Kick to the head. With, with 56 seconds left to straighten us, out, straighten us all out. Who's who's doing the kicking and whose head? That's yeah, that, 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 tune in next week. Yeah, that's for this important commercial. That's, well, let's see. Final thoughts for the afternoon. Um, I, I, I promised I'd ask this one. You had a Borscht Belt humor moment last night, Michael. Tell us about it. So I went to see at Wolf Trap, the Performing Arts Center here in, in Virginia, the two-man, uh, there were other people on stage here and there, but the two-man, Martin Short, Steve Martin, what could only be described as a Catskills Mountain Borscht Belt styled uh, comedy uh, show. And it was very funny. They're both oh, very, very funny people, but I really hadn't been to a show like that since I was a teenager. In the Catskills. Parents to Grossinger's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're both, they're both very funny. So Henny Youngman would approve. Henny Youngman would be very proud. Yes. <laughs> Take my wife, please. please. <laughs> Take my wife everywhere. She keeps running her way back. That's <laughs> I mean, they, they had, they had jokes. I, well, I'll tell you, there's one I heard I hadn't heard before from Rodney. You know, I went to a doctor, you know, my doctor, Dr. Vinny Boombots. I went to the doctor and I said, I'm in pain. He says, you got to stop masturbating. I said, why? He said, because I can't finish the examination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. I mean, they, 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 they recounted jokes that really were vaudeville in their, yeah. <laughs> in their origin. The doctor told my wife to walk six miles a day. You know, eight months later, we don't know where she is. She no. is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> bada bing. You know, they just need a bada bing drum. But that said, I don't see it. They tell the, now, if anyone wants to look it up, there is, it's the so-called dirtiest joke ever told. And it's called the aristocrats. And it's been told by numerous vaudevillians and numerous comedians. And what it boils down to is a guy walks into a uh, into an agent's office says, "I need you to represent me and my family." And he says, "What's the act?" So he brings the family out and they strip down. They jump into vats of shit. They beat each other up. They're kissing each other inappropriately. They're smoothing around in the shit. They roll. They throw oil over each other. They stick th fingers where they shouldn't and mouths where they shouldn't. They beat the crap out of each other. Light the damn place on fire. Put it out. Run around. Do it again. And and then at the end they go da 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 da. And he goes, "What do you call this act?" And he goes, "The aristocrats." <laughs> there you have it. Well, yeah, I mean, very vaudevillian. Their their jokes were not quite um, that bad, that dirty. But you know, a typical type of joke would be: there's a foursome of uh, golfers, eighty year old golfers, and sadly one of them dies, and so they're looking for a fourth golfer, and they say, "Well, we need to have somebody who has very good vision." because they're having trouble at age 80 tracking the ball. They find this guy and he tests to his very good vision. So they invite him into 
the foursome and one guy hits the ball down the fairway, one in the short rough and one in, in the woods. And they say to him, Do you, did you see it? Do you know where it went? He said, absolutely. So out they walk on into the fairway. The guy who hits the first ball on the fairway hits his ball. The second guy in the rough hits his ball. They said to the third guy, all right, where's his ball? He says, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Hey now. Great, great vision, but, but no memory. So, <laughs> great vision, I don't remember. <laughs> John, last word, my brother. What do you think <laughs> this week? You got a sports analogy for us? <laughs> Uh, no, uh, of this week, uh, I am, will be taking, uh, three days off at the end of the week, including affidavit Thursday. And what I'm most looking forward to is, um, sitting at a tiki bar with a cold beverage, watching the coverage and not having for once to make sense of all this. And by God, that's the biggest joy you could have <laughs> affidavit Thursday. It is, I think that will give us a lot to talk about next week depending on what's in it but uh then again this is being uh the united states uh, 2022 god only knows what's going to happen between now and next week it's it could be anything gentlemen well, look, as always, tragedy been... tragedy has struck uh the yankees have lost 11 of 13 so you know <laughs> there you have it and red sox fans everywhere are happy <laughs> they're, they're still in last place they're still in last place but they they get such a perverse pleasure when the yankees don't do well <laughs> exactly <laughs> well listen gentlemen as always a pleasure look forward to seeing you next week the name of the show is just ask the question i am your host brian Kiram. thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.